Hello and welcome to the fifth annual Criterion Month Draft. The biggest event in the wide world of sports or art or art art sports. Uh, we are Sean Lemmy, John Otney, and Colin Westman. And we like to take the month of July as an opportunity to review a Criterion Collection movie uh, almost every day of the month. Sometimes I do uh, 11 movies. I'm not planning on doing that this year. Um, but uh, it's a tradition that started years ago when Barnes & Noble was a thing and they would do uh, Criterion Collection sales every July where you could buy the movies at half off, which is the only way it fiscally makes sense to buy Criterion Collection movies. And uh, even though... I guess there still is Barnes & Noble, uh, but uh, the world has changed a lot since then. Um, but we're still we're still doing this. I tried to buy some last year, and I feel like their stock was really not great. <laughs> so I just didn't end up buying any from Barnes & Noble's. But, you know, that was probably due to the pandemic. So I'll... I'll let that slide. Maybe maybe I'll try and buy some this year. I will say, you guys, they are uh, building a Barnes & Noble at the new Totem Lake Mall. Oh, wow. Uh, though I wonder if it's actually new Barnes & Noble or if they're moving the big Bellevue one that I used to work at into this <laughs> smaller location. Uh, I haven't looked into it. That could be very uh, very much a possibility. Yeah. yeah that reminds me I should head down to White Center to check on the, our former... Barnes and Noble, which had, as far as I know, remained a vacant building for more than a year now. Man, that was so sad. We lived so close to a pretty big, pretty decent Barnes and Noble. I could go down there and get magazines. I guess we'll browse magazines. I'm probably one of the reasons that place failed. Um, yeah, I miss Barnes and Noble, man. And like, you know, even working at Barnes and Noble was kind of fun uh, during the Criterion season. Like, it would it'd be crazy. I'd have this huge stack of all these Blu-rays that all these nerds would be pre-ordering, like, right away to make sure no one else, you know, <laughs> scooped them up first. There'd be guys that'd come in and buy, like, 20 Blu-rays. It was insane. Yeah. 20 for the price of 10. Well, that's the thing. There were, like, lots of deals, but if you bought, like, a certain amount, you get this much discounted. So mm-hmm. it, was definitely, it was definitely a good deal. It was half off, right? I, I mean, I should mm-hmm. know. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and I guess I can point out that right now, Criterion, uh, through their official site for the month of May, are doing a 30% off sale, so not quite as good, but, uh, you know, we're we're doing this all as a weird, unaffiliated promotion of this service that we all adore, so (laughs) might as well give them the full shout out and say, if you're you're trying to buy something, maybe now's a good time. So, you guys, uh, we do a... Uh, a draft. I don't remember how we picked the order the three of us draft in. Um, but before we even get to that, I'd like to know if anyone has a methodology to the movies they've shortlisted this year. Yeah, I'll go first. Um, so my strategy, I've used this for a few years now, is to spread my films out by decade. I've got a movie every decade starting from the 20s to the to the 10s, the 10s. But I wanted to make it a little more interesting this year. So I also have every film is from a different country. 
so if somebody picks one of my picks, um, this is going to take a little work to try to restructure this list. Uh, so I've got some pretty weird uh, choices this year. Not a whole lot of like bona fide classics, um, but it, it should be pretty interesting. That should be interesting. What about you, Colin? I mean, John's basically doing the strategy I take every year. <laughs> Although I don't, I guess I don't specifically like make a point of doing different, uh, like a different country and decade with each pick. But but I like to kind of have variety in that way of just doing, you know, a, a, a good amount of different decades and different countries even though i always just want to pick a bunch of american movies but that's not what this is about so i try to limit those to like one or two uh and that's kind of just what i'm doing this year i don't know i feel like i'm getting to the point where it's, it's it is harder for me to narrow down movies that i have been wanting to see for a long time and haven't yet but there's always stuff to find and discover. I guess that's that's what's great about Criterion. Yeah. yeah. Now, I know, Sean, your strategy is usually to pick the greatest movies ever made. <laughs> is that the strategy you went with this year? Um, it is with a bit of a caveat. Uh, I guess if I have a theme this year, it's movies that I've gotten extremely close to having watched. And I just haven't. Like at the last minute, it didn't happen for me. Um, including, including on this list, one movie that I'm certain I have seen. I just can't remember like pretty much any of it. So I'm gonna watch it again. Uh, cool. Yeah. I think I think that's allowed. I think we've done movies that we've seen before. Although I can only think of one example. And that's John reviewing Night of the Living Dead. But I was telling Sean before we started podcasting, I made sure to watch every special feature okay. so I could come in with a new perspective. Yeah. But it's just easy because I had it, you know. It was just right there. Mm-hmm. Well, when we get to that one, we can talk about it. Um, I think what we do is, since it's like a sports thing, we go by the number of posts in the last year. <laughs> As like your score, and that's how we pick the order you draft in. Is that right? That's how we did it last I'm sure year. We did it. Okay. One point. So then that that's easy because it would definitely be Colin go first, and then John, then me. All right then. Um. So my right, Colin, don't waste you. Uh, I guess no. I should say what? the only there's there there are no rules really except for. Uh, you can't pick something that we've already covered in Criterion Month, right? Yeah. I believe so. You know, so. for some reason, Sean, I was so sure you were going to say, all right, God, don't waste our time here. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I feel like I will be because I'll just, I'm all, I always just pick movies that you haven't heard of. And you guys are just like, eh, yeah, sure, that's a real movie. I miss, I miss when we used to do these in person because, like, You'd always do your pick, and then I'd look over to Sean, and we'd both just kind of go like, mm. <laughs> just like shrug at each other, like I don't know what this is. Yeah, I miss that. And I, I'm never sure like what order to do my movies in because I'm never really afraid of you guys picking any of mine. <laughs> but there's always a possibility. I guess usually my first few are movies that 
like uh, some would consider among the the greatest movies ever made because <laughs> maybe like maybe sean yeah I was, saw saw that like was, cited on their wikipedia page or something yep <laughs> i would focus on those uh i would also movies from uh japan usa or france uh mm-hmm. and maybe england would definitely be and, and then italy to a lesser extent yeah okay Actually, I don't... Whatever. I'll just make this my first pick just because it's French and I feel like my first pick is always a French movie. Uh, It's called Beau Travail. It's a movie directed by Claire Denis uh, who... I've seen one of her movies. I saw her most recent movie, High Life, which starred Robert Pattinson. I think that was her first um, English language movie. But Beau Travail seems to be her most, uh, like, acclaimed, highly regarded film. I don't know much about it. It's like a bunch of dudes at a a prison camp or something? What is this? About a bunch of soldiers hanging out, doing shit. I I really don't know what this movie's about. I just know uh, people always say this is her best movie, and she's... uh, I don't know, one of those directors that modern cinephiles kind of talk about in in uh, high esteem. Oh, so there you go. Okay. Uh, I do, believe, do you yourself hold her in high esteem? Or I mean, I, are you just I, like... Again, I've only seen High Life. I, I liked it. I didn't love it, I guess. I mean, it's a hard movie to love. This is kind of just like a space movie, but it's like, what if we made a space movie about how, like, people would actually be pretty shitty to each other if they were all stuck on a space station with with no one else and no escape. But, um, I don't know. Cool. Yeah, it seems like a movie. So, like, Passengers. Um, I don't, I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> Uh, she also uh, kind of inspired uh, Lynn Shelton to get into directing. I remember like Lynn Shelton went and saw Claire Denis like speak at the uh, the Northwest Film Forum, and she said that she didn't start directing movies until she was like in her forties, and that made Lynn Shelton want to start directing, even though she kind of had reservations about starting directing movies in her late thirties. So. At least have that contribution to cinema from Claire Denis. This is a movie I know one thing about. Yeah. Which is it has supposedly an unforgettable ending. All right. So. Do you know it? Don't spoil it, but do you, do you know it, or do you just know it has an? I I ending? know sort of the the gist of what it is. I don't know the specifics because I don't really know. What the movie's about. I think, Colin, you said you think it's a prison movie. I believe it's a military yeah, movie. Yeah, I think it's a military movie. <laughs> well, yeah, I see it stars D- Denis Levant, if that's how you say his name. The weird guy from Holy Motors. Did you guys see that movie? Ooh. That's a fun movie. Leo Carax. <laughs> what happened to that guy? Does he still make movies? I don't know. I don't. We don't need to talk about him. But that uh, <laughs> Denis Levant guy is a—he's a kind of funny-looking dude. He's a great character actor. 
top billing in this movie. Cool. Intriguing. Yeah. I like that Claire, Claire Denis, you look at the movie she's made, she really seems to play with uh, genre, too. Um, and I don't want to spoil Shocktober for you guys, but you could possibly come up again this year. <laughs> Ooh. If you know anything about some of her other movies. I don't, really, Teaser. which is why I'm <laughs> trying to try to introduce myself to her films. Well, you might get to watch more than one this year. Mm-hmm. A, little, a little spoiler for you, a little tidbit for everybody. Um. Okay. Well. Uh, uh. Yeah. I mentioned. I mentioned horror, and that is tangentially related in a way to what I'm going to be picking as my number one pick in the Criterion Draft. Um, because it is by a filmmaker who has primarily made horror movies. Guys, I'm going to watch Cronenberg's 1996 movie, Crash. Nice. uh, New new to the Criterion Collection, I think as of this year. Um, I just like that... Definitely a more recent movie. We've covered so many of his movies, and it's just like, once we get another opportunity to talk about (laughs) another Cronenberg movie, it's like, we gotta take it, we gotta jump in there right as a new Cronenberg Criterion movie is coming out. I don't know why. Like, I'm a fan of his. It just we just get so many opportunities. He fits like all like into the categories we're always doing. Like yeah. when we did horror criterion, it's like well, he's got like four <laughs> movies in the Criterion Collection that are horror movies. Or um, we did him on the on the podcast when we we talked about Dead Zone, and I think I looked it up. We've this will be the tenth time he's been covered on the website, which is crazy. We've covered his whole 1980s. And mm-hmm. most of his seventies as well. That's which is why I'm I'm interested in getting into nineties Cronenberg because uh, this is where he kind of started to go away from from his horror comfort zone, and I, this is probably his most experimental period as a filmmaker. Because um, you know, right before this, he had Naked Lunch, which is also in the Criterion Collection, will probably come up next year. Um, we'll see. We'll see. Not gonna uh, lie, it was a contender for me. But I decided not to pick it. I watched part of it like on some bootleg website like years ago, and there was like this like really weird s- sexual typewriter in it. <laughs> it's kind of hard to explain. And I was like, I'll finish this later, and then I never did. This is a fucking weird movie. And I mean, this movie I only really know based off of its reputation for being kind of. Uh, scandalous. Um, let me read through the premise here. Uh, after getting into a serious car accident, a TV director discovers an underground subculture of scarred, omnisexual car crash victims who use car accidents and the raw sexual energy they produce to try to rejuvenate his sex life with his wife. Um, so, yeah, movie about people who get turned on by car crashes yeah. is, is my takeaway. Uh, this movie is rated NC-17, uh, so I, I wonder how explicit the sex stuff is in this movie. It, it can't be that explicit, because it stars James Spader and Holly Hunter, and it's hard for me to imagine them doing, like, borderline pornography. Uh, <laughs> so, I don't, I don't know, maybe it's just, you know, I feel like sometimes the, the ratings board will just give something an NC-17 just because, like, it sounds like something that should get an NC-17. Kids probably shouldn't be watching this. <laughs> uh, yeah, 
it just I mean when you hear yeah like erotic psychological thriller about car crashes I, I'm sure that's enough for them to make up their mind uh, I really don't know much about it outside of that I used to have a book called uh, Profoundly Disturbing by Joe Bob Briggs about just controversial movies and there was a section on Crash I wish I could remember what he wrote about specifically but I mean, this was a movie that was pretty taboo when it came out, and I think that's probably why not a lot of people really talk about it, because it got that NC-17 rating, and that's usually like the kiss of death for a movie. Um, so it'll be fun to uh, to check off another film off of the pr- profoundly disturbing list as well, because a few years ago, I made another Criterion pick because it was in that book which was when I watched And God Created Woman, uh, which ah. wasn't great, but it was still nice to check it off the list. Yeah. Um, I feel like I've almost watched all the movies from that book, except I have not watched Deep Throats. <laughs> I don't imagine that. <laughs> I just don't know what would compel me in this day and age to watch Deep Throat. Unless oh, they put it in the Criterion <laughs> collection. I don't know. When you're I mean, watching Debbie Does Dallas, you need a companion film. They need a companion it, it could be in the Criterion Collection if they put a Russ Meyer movie in the Criterion Collection. <laughs> yeah. It's not impossible. I doing it. Um, but yeah, no, I'm pretty excited about Crash. Um, I didn't think anyone else was going to pick it, but I was. I, it's just the movie I'm most excited for because uh, it's a new Cronenberg for me. <laughs> Uh, and that's fun. So I'm sure it'll be really okay and creepy. Um, for my first pick, I would like us to remain in the French-speaking world, but go back a few decades, uh, and uh, and actually less emphasis on the speaking because this movie is sung through. It's a Jacques Demy musical called "The Umbrellas of Cherbourg." Yeah, uh, I like. That. Um, like. You like this one? I like this movie. Yeah, it's really good. I don't know if you'll like it because you don't seem like that big of a musical guy, but I I definitely enjoyed it the one time I saw it. Um, I'm, you know, theoretically I'm not a musical guy or a foreign language film guy, but here we are. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've, I've liked movies in both, uh, in both genres. Well, <laughs> subtitles isn't a genre. Uh, both styles before, and um, I came very close to watching this one when I found it on YouTube one day. It's just there. You can just watch it. Um, and I hit play, and it seemed nice, and I was like, wait, we're doing a Criterion drafting. I could save this. Um, so it's it's the one I've most recently nearly watched uh, from my list, but also the one I thought was most in danger of being picked by you guys, uh, although now it seems pretty safe. Um yeah, it's, uh, like I said, it's Jacques Demy. Uh, I know it's a star-making performance for Catherine Deneuve. Uh, and uh, and I know the composer is uh, Michel Legrand, who is also, I guess, a big deal in French cinema. So, l- looking forward to this uh, musical. Sounds like a love story about someone who sells umbrellas. <laughs> yeah, that's... Is that what it I is? mean, that's kind of like the starting point. I feel like it takes place over a number of years. I feel like it, it gets kind of sad. 
Also, like, I, in my memory, uses, like, its its color palette very well, which is always cool to see in those kind of early Technicolor movies. Uh, yeah, feast, feast for the eyes and ears. Ooh. Uh, well, I love to feast. <laughs> wow, Jacques Demy was married to Agnes Varda? Yeah. Did you guys know this? I did. For, like, a long time, until he died. That's a filmmaking power couple, man. Can you think of a more powerful filmmaking power couple? <sighs> Is there one? I guess that brief window where Catherine Bigelow and James Cameron <laughs> were, were married. That's pretty impressive. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I know nothing about... I wonder if I know, recognize the cover of this. I recognize the title. Yeah, Sean, there's no chance I was going to pick this. You're good. <laughs> Now everyone's being quiet as I Google the cover. The <laughs> we all just want yeah. to hear your reaction of the cover. Of I'm, I'm reading the description. I see <sighs> the boy is shipped off to fight in Algeria. You're reading the description of the cover? Um, Algeria, I, I believe that conflict has been covered in other Criterion it, it, it has. month movies. Yes, in the, the Battle of Algiers. Yeah, I don't recognize the Battle of Algiers. There you go. Sometimes and, there are certain Criterion movies where like, I just I know the cover so well. So well, like that one with the three balloons on it. I don't even remember what the name of the movie is. Was that uh, it? Chapter you two. Know what I'm talking about? <laughs> <laughs> Do you think I can find it by searching three balloons criterion? I'll probably just run into the red balloon. Yeah. Um, I, and while John is that, I will say this is spine number seven sixteen. Every movie I pick this year is gonna have a spine number. I'm not fucking around with anything that's just on Criterion Channel. I know. I went. I did due diligence. It's all in the collection this year. It's fine. I don't think anyone had a problem with you using the channel, Sean. Yeah, I just feel bad. I, I, I didn't. We weren't, we weren't out to it get was, you. It was hard to, to make a case against what you were doing last year, <laughs> but I feel like I did kind of lay down the hammer on "Come and See" the year before, which ended up being in the Criterion Collection like a year later. That's so funny. Yeah. What the fuck is this balloon movie? You guys know it's red. It's got three balloons on it. <laughs> I I don't know what you're talking. I just assumed you fuck. were talking about the red balloon. <laughs> is it just three balloons, or is there some something else going on? There's a on? face above it. It's a drawing of a face. A drawing of a face. <laughs> oh, this is driving me insane. Are you sure you didn't dream this? Did I, you think I dreamed a Criterion cover? Stranger no, no, this is real. This is real. Hopefully by the end of this podcast, I just gotta look up every single Criterion cover. I want to say it's a '60s movie. I I have I'm basing that off of nothing. <laughs> All right, um, I'll do that silently though. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, Colin gets to make his second choice. My second choice, I feel like it was a backup last year because you guys made me pronounce the Italian title of this movie, which is Il Gattapardo. (laughs) English title, The Leopard. Uh, It's an Italian movie, obviously, uh, that I feel like Martin Scorsese is a big fan of this movie. And... I don't know. I guess I'm interested in it for the reason 
Well, for two reasons, but mostly just because, like, the director, Lucino Visconti, he's, you know, kind of of that same era with all those other Italian directors that came out of the Italian neorealism uh, movement. Uh, Fellini, we've covered. Like, De Sica, we've covered. Uh, We've done Rossellini. We've done... uh, Antonioni. So now I'm doing Lucino Visconti. Uh, it seemed like his movies ended up kind of veering away from uh, the neorealism uh, style as he got further into his career. Like, this is kind of a big, like, costume epic. It's over three hours long. It's. Uh, Jesus Christ. Yeah. It's got multiple cuts. The U.S. cut was like. 160 minutes long and I don't know if that version also was like dubbed into English I don't think I'm going to watch that version but uh, it's interesting because it does star a fairly big American actor from the time Burt Lancaster who I always really enjoy he's definitely one of my favorite leading men from that era uh just because he just always seems so world-weary in a way that, like, so few actors from that era are. Uh, I just, I love him in everything I've seen him in. Uh, so it'll be interesting <laughs> to see him acting with a bunch of Italians. Although Elaine Delon is also in this movie. He's not Italian, he's French. So, uh, you know, eclectic international cast. Okay, uh, so for my next pick, this is my 2010s pick. My, oh, my last pick was my 90s pick, just so people uh, playing at home can keep track. Uh, so for my 2010s pick, I picked the 2016 film Certain Women. Kelly Reichardt. Colin, have you seen this movie? Hmm, no, I haven't, actually. It seems like a movie you would have seen. Okay, good. Well, actually, no good, because if it was good, I could have thrown it to you. <laughs> um... Well, I was shocked when I realized when I watched First Cow, you know, recently. When I can't remember. The, the time is doesn't exist anymore. I don't remember when I watched it. But I think that was the only Kelly Reichardt movie um, I had seen. Even though I feel like for years people, I guess like film spotting is like, you got to watch like Meek's Cutoff. And like, oh, like, yeah, yeah, Night yeah. Moves. Wendy and Lucy is a movie I've been putting off for a million years because sad movie with a dog. I can't do it, but certain women seem like something I can handle. Uh, This is a movie about uh, the lives of certain women (laughs) in a small town in Montana. It's interweaving stories. And I mean, this cast, you got Laura Dern, Kristen Stewart, Michelle Williams, Jared Harris, Renee Abergeois. Yeah, rest in peace. Who, yeah, I didn't realize he was still in movies as late as 2016. So that'll be fun. Um, but yeah, I, I was like, I, I, I gotta watch more of her movies. And I don't know why I picked this one. I think, I, I guess because I had Kristen Stewart. And I don't know, she's always interesting. Um, yeah, and, and Michelle Williams and Laura Dern. Yeah, I can't remember where I heard, heard it, but I, I remember someone making some comment about how, like, it's a good thing that Robert Pattinson 
and Kristen Stewart went on to be so successful because they can be in like blockbuster movies, but they're also keeping like independent cinema alive because <laughs> they still will go back and do these smaller pictures too. So I'm always intrigued to watch her because I feel like she picks interesting projects. Fun fact, Kristen Stewart starring in the new David Cronenberg movie that was just announced recently. Smart. It's a good move for her. Yeah. Her and, and Viggo Mortensen are going to star in, I think, what was it called? Crimes of Stereo or Stereo Future. Cronenberg's remaking like one of his old student films, and it sounds fucking insane. <laughs> um, so, yeah, fun way to connect my two picks. Uh, but, yeah, uh, I really don't have much to say about certain women. I really liked First Cow. I like that Kelly Reichardt uh, uses a lot of kind of like rural settings, which I appreciate. Definitely has a good eye for, for landscapes and scenery. So I'm looking forward to that. So this one feels really redundant. So you guys just tell me if I should just pick something different. <laughs> but looking up Umbrellas of Cherbourg, I noticed this composer also composed another movie and the director's wife directed it and it's called Cleo from 5 to 7 and there's been a Varda movie in like every Criterion month Mm. and still all I've ever seen is that one documentary documentary. I don't think it's a waste of time I think I've only done two Agnes Varda movies and Cleo from 5 to 7 is maybe her best i don't i don't know if it's definitively her best but it's like you know it's her breakout movie that kind of made her an international director to look out for i i I would say it's definitely worth seeing yeah uh i also saw that jean-luc godard is in the movie so that's exciting sounds about right he's also in faces places (laughs) Yeah, that's right. He's the villain of that movie. <laughs> Basically. <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, this movie's just super tied into Criterion Month to me. It's it's really it's really weird to me that I couldn't find anything written about it on our whole blog. So I'm going to change that, I guess. <laughs> yeah, make a change. No, we haven't reviewed it. Uh, I, also, in in the first 100 Criterion releases, is a spine number 73. Yeah. I mean, I assume okay. most of the first 100 were French New Wave movies. <laughs> and Michael Bay movies. That's true. He, <laughs> he was keeping the lights on at Criterion. And wasn't Robocop pretty early, too? <sighs> yeah, probably. I'm going to look that up. <laughs> You're really interested in the spine numbers this year. That's really important. <laughs> I'm playing it very safe. Because <laughs> none of them had spine numbers last year. Uh, as far as like why I've nearly seen this, it's just because uh, Faces Places put Varda on my radar and then reading Colin's reviews about her movies makes them seem like they're pretty good. Yeah, they're pretty good. And, uh, obviously, hugely... Yeah, uh, so The Rock uh, spy number one hundred eight, but RoboCop spy number twenty three. Wow, it's, it's prime real estate. <laughs> Love it. Okay, so now I'm 
I'm mulling over what I should do about my list because I was actually oh. I was going to pick a Kelly Reichert movie, a different one <gasps> than the one you chose. Whoa, do it! Should I? Well, actually, you, you could put you could put out two, and then we could like try to help you decide. Uh, I'm sure the other one is something we don't know though. <laughs> I didn't really have a well. Yeah, I did have some backups, but I don't know. I could just move Some on. Well-earned arrogance from Colin. What? No backups on no, non-needed. No, no, I do. I do have backups. <laughs> well, what do you want to? Do you want to know my backups, or do you want to know the movie I was going to choose? I want to know the movie you're going to choose. I, I was going to choose Old Joy, which is a Kelly Rocker movie that I think is kind of an earlier one. That sounds, it, it kind of just sounds like a, a modern first cow. <laughs> just like two, two dudes out in the, the Oregon wilderness, but they're on a camping trip and it's modern day. And isn't one of them that bald dude from uh, A Ghost Story? Yeah. Who like tells a story yeah. within the story. Will, it's Will Oldham, who's yeah. kind of primarily a musician, but he acts sometimes too. So are you picking old Joy-Con? I don't know. <laughs> I guess, sure. I've already introduced yeah. it. Why not? We'll do two Kelly Record movies. I don't know if we've done that God, before. This is such a good pick because it's 76 minutes. I didn't even realize That's it. brilliant. Yeah, that is very short. I should have picked this. Yeah. It'll give me time to, uh, to watch The Leopard. Uh... Yeah, I don't know. It sounds uh, like a pretty typical Kelly Record movie, but I guess this was so early on in her career that uh, I don't know. She can't. She hadn't really fallen into these patterns yet. But sounds. And this uh, is one of her her Oregon movies, right? Yep. She loves to film in Oregon. She's not like from there, right? But she she films there a lot. Yeah, I don't know. She must like she live there. there or something. I don't know. It'd be very strange yeah, she must if she didn't. Uh, well, it's a great location. Sure, I love it. Lots of green. Oh wow! I'm sure you saw who did the music for this movie. Yola Tango. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, dude. So, it's it's a pretty indie movie. <laughs> it's, this feels like a this feels like a John pick, kind of. Like I don't know if this is mumblecore adjacent, but it looks like it could. Be. Yeah, I don't think there are any mumblecore movies in Criterion, are there? Not that I'm, not that I can think of. I'm trying to think of what would even aren't even some of the early Safdie movies considered mumblecore? I don't know. I haven't seen like Daddy Long Legs. I haven't seen those. Sean, what are you messaging me? I don't. I can't multitask here. The color of pomegranates cover has th- three pomegranate seeds on it. I'm wondering if those are the three red balloons. No, Sean, this up. isn't it. They were balloons. I, I appreciate you. Yes, it seems close. Like, like I thought I remembered them as as balloons, but they're actually the pomegranates. No, it's like a painting of a face, and it's three balloons. <laughs> I want to say it's a 60s movie. 
I don't know that for sure. Um, but like I was saying about Mumblecore, I feel like Funny Haha would be a good choice for Criterion. Not that this is a conversation about Mumblecore, but you know I'm a fan. But no, I'm excited about two Kelly Reichardt movies. I feel like it's a filmmaker we need to get more into. Yeah. She's a Northwest filmmaker. I mean, in, in a way. Yeah. I've seen... So... What a, what a, I guess I've seen a couple of her movies, though. I, I, I have seen Wendy and Lucy, and I saw Meek's Cutoff a long time ago, I guess around the time it came out. I, I just feel like they talked about it on Film Spotting like every week for a period of... When I was listening to it. I don't know. They did. It was a popular And then one. I saw it, and I was like, <laughs> I just... I, I wasn't that into it, but maybe <laughs> I need to revisit it. <laughs> I mean, it's tough when something's hyped up like that. True. You know? So it's, yeah, it's when it's hyped up, but also it's for a director who's so minimalist. <laughs> yeah, it's not like, oh, dude, I'm so fucking stoked to see the new Kelly Clarkson. Yeah. <laughs> You're not gonna be like blown away the way uh, Christopher Nolan fans are when they see one of his movies. <sighs> yeah, I'm yeah. So, I can't believe they're fucking Nolan. Actually, you have a Nolan movie in the Criterion Collection. <laughs> Isn't following in the Criterion Collection? Yeah. I think so. Never mind. I think it is. Was Insomnia in the Criterion Collection, or am I thinking of the original? I think it is. Or we're both... Maybe, they, maybe they're maybe they both on. Yeah. Or maybe now... No, in the fuck? I don't know. I don't know the only Insomnia that. is the Eric Skjoldbjerg version okay. from 1997. Okay, so it is the original. Okay. I mean, it would be. It, I mean, it would be pretty weird if the Nolan one was in the Criterion Collection, because like, why? It's probably like his weakest film. Hmm. Um, but it's funny because Al Pacino. Oh, you don't think so? What do you think it is? I mean, I want to say Dark Knight Rises because he just did it for the money. But Dark Knight Rises. Hmm. Just did it. For he the had money. a lot to say about the financial crisis. I guess I haven't seen it since it came out. It seemed, I mean, I, I, I liked it okay, which I guess is about how I feel about Insomnia. So I, I wouldn't say it's vastly inferior to Insomnia. Also, I haven't seen Tenet yet, but I, I guess I should now it's on HBO Max. Yeah. I can just stream that um, shit. It's going to be your favorite, man. Could be. Mm-hmm. Who knows? Just turn your speakers way up. <laughs> And maybe put subtitles on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, don't know, I don't know how to view that movie. I know I'm gonna fuck it up. We just gave you some tips. All right. Well, I'll tell you how I watched it. I watched it with subtitles on, and then riding the volume <laughs> up and down like for ninety minutes. Yeah. The movie's obviously longer than that, but then, you know, I didn't need to do it the whole. <laughs> That's how you do it. Why? man watch with subtitles just like i'm gonna have to watch my next movie with subtitles because another language you guys you know i haven't been talking about the countries uh every time i forget to uh to introduce an an element of what i'm doing here well so so far it's been canada and the u.s right canada the u.s (laughs) yeah well yeah you've been catching on you're you're following along i'm this is for the people at home sean i'm trying to play along okay okay So, my next movie, uh, I think, is technically French. Uh, That's a little tricky because this filmmaker, 
makes films in multiple languages. This is uh, Michael Annika's The Piano Teacher from 2001. Uh, I watched uh, Funny Games last year and actually kind of liked it, even though it's pretty miserable, <laughs> downer kind of movie. Uh, very, very tragic. And I don't know much about The Piano Teacher. Um, I think it's more of a drama than it is a thriller, but I'm reading the, uh, the IMDb plot synopsis, and it's very short. It just says... A young man romantically pursues his masochistic piano teacher. And uh, the, the use of the word masochistic scares the hell out of me. <laughs> yeah. Because I, I haven't seen many... How many Michael Hanukkah movies have I seen? I think I've only seen Funny Games. I've seen them more. And I've seen Caché, which is a pretty uh, brutal movie. Or at least it has a pretty brutal scene in it. So maybe this won't be brutal in a violent way, but I'm sure there'll be there'll be something about it that will be uh, difficult to watch. But for some reason that I, I'm that intrigues me. I think it's because I like horror movies, so I, sometimes I'm intrigued by stuff that scares me. <laughs> uh, I see also on Wikipedia this is listed as a psychological drama. Uh, so some mind games going on for sure. I see you've got Isabel Huppert. Uh, it's based on a book. Uh, yeah, countries, France, Austria, Germany. But I believe it is in... Oh, it is in French and it is in German. That dude does it all. And he's a sick fuck. <laughs> but, you know, like... I, I like... So one thing I like to do about this Criterion podcast is... Uh, when we do directors and we continue to, you know, do more films by that same director and kind of go through their filmography. That's something that's always fun for me. Mm -hmm. So I'd say there's a good chance I, because uh, I think he has maybe at least one other in the Criterion Collection that I, I could review next year. So maybe I will. Cool. Yeah, I still haven't seen any of his movies. And you're making well, it harder pretty, for me. Pretty sad. Yeah. Um, well, Amour is depressing, but not in like a sadistic way. It's just depressing and like <laughs> people get old and die. <laughs> people get old and die. Yeah. That's why it's sad. Where the other ones are like, oh, this movie is depressing because this person got a, a shotgun <laughs> in their face. Yeah, that's, that, that is uh, also I really sad. liked. I felt bad for liking funny games, though. Like it made me feel bad. Like like I was a bad person for liking. Hmm. Um, so I'm, I'm afraid how a piano teacher will make me feel about myself that's the power of cinema mm -hmm. Sean you have the power yeah I am Next. going to use that power to try to find a movie that is difficult to find that I've oh. wanted to see for a long time we brought up uh, film spotting this is a movie that um, film spotting made me aware of um, very in line with some of my other previous picks like Le Samurai and Rafifi I'm going to try this year to find and watch Jean-Pierre Melville's Le Cercle Rouge can't be done Sean is that out of print? it is out of print it is not on the Criterion channel 
I'm gonna try to do it. <laughs> I'm throwing down the. Gun. I've, it's on eBay if it comes to it. <laughs> That's it. Oh, um, are you looking it up? Here, I'll look it up. So, is it not streaming anywhere? Like, not for purchase or rental either. Uh, I didn't even look into that part okay. of it. Okay. I was just trying to. I was just trying to buy it. Because <laughs> uh, a lot of times that happens to me, where a movie isn't on Criterion Channel, so I just end up, uh, you know, just giving an old rental, paying three dollars to see it. It's not so bad. Um, but yeah, you know, um, I, I sort of like heist movies. I I really liked Rafifi uh, a few years ago. Um. And uh, this was, I believe, part of that same marathon that Film Spotting did back in like 2007. Um, and I've just never seen it. And I guess I had a window at some point because they put out a Blu-ray, but I, I missed that. Um, the spine number 218. So it was still fairly early on in the Criterion Collection, which is now past 1,000. Uh, it's, it seems like it's a pretty classic heist setup. You know, a, a master thief is out of prison and he uh, puts together a team to pull off an improbable heist while dealing with problems from his mysterious past. Okay. There's an inspector hot on their tails. Good news, Sean. If you can't find a copy of it, you can rent it for three ninety nine on Apple TV, <laughs> Amazon, <laughs> Google, and YouTube. So... You made it sound like it was impossible. Yeah, you'll, you'll manage. <laughs> Unlike my, like Sean and I were talking before you here, Colin, mm-hmm. the year I tried to do Rat Catcher, which you can't even rent. That's an impossible to find movie. I mean, unless you buy it off the website. I, I guess out of print, though. <laughs> that's that's the tricky part. I feel like for me, those kinds of problems only come up with like silent movies, but luckily those are usually mm-hmm. on YouTube for free. So, yeah. I'm always interested. What does the title mean? Did you say that already? The Red Circle. The Red Circle. I feel stupid. Such a simple phrase. It's not not Uh, a red balloon, though. I don't don't think that's the movie John was thinking of. It's not the fucking (laughs) red balloon, you guys. (laughs) It's uh, the other uh, Melville movie I saw was Le Samurai. Also, pretty easy to translate that one. This is, um, I believe, one of his last directorial efforts before he passed away. Yeah. Uh, and didn't realize. Elaine Delon is in it. It's his, uh, From The Leopard. Yeah, it's his second appearance. Uh, all these connections happening. Yeah. Always fun to see. Um... My next pick has a connection to the last uh, <laughs> theme reviews we did, which was uh, the Oscars Fortnite. I stumbled on this movie looking at Best Picture nominees from the 70s, because I hadn't really heard of this movie. But then I saw it was in the Criterion Collection, but it was nominated for Best Picture. Uh, it is called The Emigrants. Uh, with an E. Uh, it's a Swedish movie oh. starring Max von Sydow and Liv Ullman. You know, pretty much the two most famous Swedish actors of that era. Uh, 
directed by Jan Troll. Not really familiar with him, but uh, I guess I was just intrigued by it just because it is the story of Swedish immigrants um, immigrating to the U.S., uh, specifically to Minnesota in the mid-19th century. And, of course, those are... Those are my ancestors on my dad's side, you know, were, were Swedish immigrants who settled in Minnesota. So that intrigued me. Uh, it is another long one. 191 minutes. Uh, Holy fuck. I wouldn't even know way. Fuck that. I know, but like, that's kind of a thing I like to do with these criteria months or any theme months is try to watch a few long movies because i'm i'm probably not going to be inclined to watch them any other time and i believe this and the leopard are my two my two three hour films and uh you know luckily this year we're doing our draft a little a little early so i got time also i believe this movie has a sequel I see. Yeah, it's a it's a two movie box set. When you look at it on the Criterion site, with the new land. Yeah. So that I'm guessing that's a sequel. Yeah, yeah, no, that is a sequel. Even longer, two hundred and two minutes. Shit, what's the longest movie we've done for Criterion Month? Was it when you did Yee, Colin? No, I think no. It was actually that director's other film that I reviewed. Which was a brighter summer day. I think that was oh, the longest. That's one. That was really long. Definitely didn't watch it in one sitting. <laughs> yeah, that one was two hundred and thirty-seven minutes. Oh, fuck. yeah. Jesus. It's gonna be hard to top that one. <laughs> Cause yeah. Do you guys think they'll have yeah they'll ever put the Snyder cut <laughs> in the collection? I'm sure he's trying right now. <laughs> Trying to submit it. Mm-hmm. Peter Bogdanovich comes on to talk about it. <laughs> the Snyder Cut. Yeah. That's like his job these days is doing like opening like little bits for Criterion movies. At least I feel like there's a period of time where he was on a lot of special features for a lot of different Criterion movies. Yeah. I mean, he was like, he's, he's not directing movies. Does does he have any Criterion movies? That makes me sad. Yeah, if I think doesn't. the Last Picture Show is. It, oh, but it's a more recent edition, right? I think so. No, five forty nine. Five forty. Thank you. <laughs> so, how many are there as of now? To put that in context, over a thousand. Okay. So yeah, yeah, it's the the midway point. He didn't have to wait too long. Mm-hmm. That's good. Um, well, that sounds just fine. All right. Back back to me. Guess, back guess who's back? John. It's uh, John. So, like what I did with my last pick, uh, which is uh, picked a filmmaker that I've picked in the past, I'm doing the same thing with my number four pick. This is my uh, 40s entry. This is a Japanese Whoa. movie. Whoa. Uh, this is uh, Kurosawa's Stray Dog. I didn't realize until recently that I'd only ever seen Kurosawa's samurai movies. Though he does have some non-samurai movies. 
I watched part of High and Low in a class once, and was like, "This is great." High and Low. Never, we didn't finish it in the class. Yeah, that movie rules. Me and Sean watched it, uh, and I still haven't seen the rest of it. So it's like, why didn't I pick that this year? I don't know. No, it did, just didn't work with my pattern. It's a, it's a little I have a different long. movie. Yeah, I see. Like, like it's funny when you're you're, you're talking about watching these 190 something minute movies. I was looking at the length of the Piano Teacher, and it's 131 <laughs> minutes. I was like, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm jealous of your Kelly Reichardt pick seeing that 36 minute run time you know I really I really got that one by you I'm like shit I could I could have watched that and gotten in a couple of games of Tecmo Super Bowl the same night <laughs> um, but Stray Dog I think why I I think the reason Stray Dog appealed to me first of all have you, have you guys seen this movie no not, not one of his more famous ones um I just heard the premise, and I'm like, that is a great plot for a movie. Uh, the premise is, during a sweltering summer, a rookie homicide detective tries to track down his stolen Colt pistol. I love the simplicity of that. It kind of reminds me of, um, like, the plot to, like, uh, an Italian, like, neorealistic Yeah, like movie. the bicycle like, thief. Like, bicycle thieves. Like, very simple. This guy has to get this, or he's fucked. <laughs> this rookie cop loses, gets his fucking gun stolen, and has to get it back. Of course, it's it's Toshiro Mifune. I mean, yeah. who else mm-hmm. could it be? Um, I don't really know, like, if this is more of like, um, like a thriller or just like a straight up drama. I don't, or maybe it's a noir. I'm looking at some pictures of it. it it's it's very kind of this stark black and wo- black and white look to it. Um, Toshiro Mifune is wearing like a newsboy cap <laughs> as opposed to like a fedora, but that it's I'm not gonna lie, it's a great look. <laughs> <laughs> and it looks like it also co-stars that guy from from Ikiru. At least it looks like him. I've never seen that movie. Um, is he the star of Ikiru? Yeah, yeah, he is. Uh, Takashi Shimura. He's second billing in um in Stray Dog. So okay. you should you should probably see Ikiru. Yeah, I know. I know. I know. Well, hasn't it already been picked? For I don't think Mark? so. You sure? <laughs> I, I, I am pretty sure because I believe me and Sean had both seen it before we started doing Criterion Month. So that only leaves you to be the one to pick it. Yeah. I think maybe yeah. Colin picked Tokyo Story. Maybe you're thinking of that. Yeah, I did that. I guess, when, I guess then so. It, then it got way into Ozu. Yeah. Yeah, I think. I don't know if I've seen a lot of movies from Japan set in like contemporary japan from the 40s i think that's going to be a pretty interesting setting because that country was fucked up by world war ii <laughs> yeah. yeah i mean this is just four years after the end of world war ii so i'm very curious to see what this time period will look like on camera mm-hmm. um particularly something that just at on a service level looks kind of gritty and hard-boiled very interesting and, sure, you know, hopefully he gets his gun and he gets to shoot <laughs> Ikiru. And do a sweet somersault move. So, uh, keeping it in the realm of samurais, one movie I've some come close to watching so many times is Jim Jarmusch's Ghost Dog, The Way of the Samurai. Ooh. I'm going to finally do it this year. I like this pick. Yeah, I was thinking about this one, but... I'm always trying not to pick a ton of American movies, so I didn't. 
Have there's... you picked any American? Oh, yeah, you picked Old Joy. Yeah. Okay. There's a definite um, through line here with my picks because it says explicitly that, uh, that Ghost Dog is influenced by the crime dramas of Jean-Pierre Melville. Um, <laughs> so I got that going for me. Um, That's so like you... your thing now, man. <laughs> I guess. That's your thing. You're into the heist movies. That makes so much sense. I just like putting teams together. You just like put yeah, putting a team together. It's your thing. I get it. Uh, as far as I know, this is a movie about uh, Forrest Whitaker playing a like uh, modern American uh, like gangster guy, but he's uh, living by the the code of Bushido, and like he carries around a samurai sword. And, listens to Wu-Tang Clan music. It just seems like very, very cool. It does not seem very Jim Jarmusch-y, um, but I guess we'll see that in the in the execution more than the premise, maybe. I think one of you guys has seen this by now, right? I've seen this movie. It was a long time ago, but I did really like it. It's super entertaining. It's got an amazing soundtrack. Yeah, it definitely is like kind of has a Tarantino vibe to it a little bit. Like, it definitely feels like this is Kill Bill on a budget. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, it's it's super fun. I think you're going to really enjoy this. Uh, and it is spy number 1057. <laughs> so a more recent edition. Very recent. It's actually sold out currently on the site, so maybe it came out very recently. <laughs> so, Sean, are you planning on buying all of these? Well, um, for the most part, I either own them or they're on the Criterion channel so far. Uh, in the case of Ghost Dog, I have had that on DVD for probably <laughs> more than 10 years. Um, but it's it's on the Criterion channel as well, so I'll probably just watch it that way. Since it'll be You're not even going to watch the one that you bought? Why not? Because <laughs> it's two formats old at this point. Well, then why do you still have it? That's hilarious. Um... Yeah, there are like I like I said with the Le Cirque Rouge, I might have to buy that, and there are a few other ones coming up that are not on the Criterion Channel either, where I will have to make a decision. Also, this is our first uh, movie that is released in the same year as another one of our movies, uh, Ghost Dog and Beau Travail both came out in 1999, the greatest year in all of cinema. <laughs> Oh yeah, dude. When did Galaxy Quest come out? 1999. There's a good one. I believe that was Christmas Day, 1999. So just barely got in there, but it got in. Uh, Alright, so my next movie is a director I don't think I had really heard of until very recently but i saw that they're kind of starting to put some of her movies in the criterion collection the director is dorothy arzner the movie is dance girl dance from 1940 which uh you know Hmm. just that in itself is intriguing that it's a, a american studio film directed by a woman uh starred maureen o'hara and lucille ball to uh to uh golden age hollywood's uh 
most famous redheads. I don't know if that'll have anything to do with the plot. I don't even really know what the plot of this movie is about. I guess they're just dancers. I think it's kind of a bit about the male gaze and how women in entertainment are treated. Uh, Seems like a film that wasn't really given much attention at the time. Possibly because of sexism, I don't know. But it's kind of been reappraised as like a very early important feminist movie uh, over the years. And uh, I don't know. Looks like the Criterion release has an interview with Francis Ford Coppola. Hopefully that's on the Criterion channel. You can see what he has to say about this movie. Maybe he saw it and he was like, hey, women could direct movies. I should have my daughter direct movies. I don't know. Um, have you ever seen Lucille Ball in anything but I Love Lucy? Probably not. I can't think of anything offhand but i've seen a fair amount of old movies seems like i should have she was in some movies before uh i love lucy but yeah i mean you said this is 1940 that's like 10 years before i love lucy just looking through her filmography i am not seeing anything so yeah, I guess it does seem like she was kind of just a, uh, I don't know, B-list actress for a while in, in movies and then kind of broke out on TV. Hmm. I'm also seeing on the Criterion site, they say Dorothy Asner is literally the only woman to work in the Hollywood yeah, studio no, system no, of that's, the 30s and That's 40s. kind of what, it's, what it seems like. I mean, it was her. I think Ida Lupino was another early uh, woman director in like the 50s and then may, maybe there weren't I don't even know if there were any after that until Elaine May who didn't direct her first movie until the early 70s so yeah uh, very very rare thing to see so that obviously was intriguing to me huh well little teaser for you guys Ida Lupino might come up mm. in Shocktober this year maybe you're starting to piece together something uh, something I'm working on here I, yeah I think I am <laughs> considering the yeah. two clues I've gotten so far okay back, back to me huh oh god I'm so not prepared to talk about my next movie I don't know anything about it I hey, feel like there's a great chance Colin has seen it. It's, it's fine. None of us know anything about these movies because yeah. we haven't seen them. Because this, uh, Colin, if you haven't seen this, you fucked up. Oh, you must have seen this. <laughs> um, you fucked up, y'all. <laughs> God, did I fuck up? <laughs> so my my fifties pick from Italy is La Strada. Oh yeah, yeah, I've seen this a long time ago. Take it away, Colin. La Strada. It's about. People in like a traveling circus. It's like Anthony no, Quinn's like a strong IMDb man. Plot. Yeah. Uh, okay. What? What's her name? <laughs> she was she was Fellini's wife for a while. I can't remember the actress's name. She's she's like a so Julietta Messina. Yeah, yeah. She's like a clown. Um, and then, or wait, no. There's the other guy. Maybe he's a clown. What is she? Are they both clowns? I don't. know. It doesn't matter. But. Uh, all I know is there's something with like clowns or possibly mimes based off of the images that I yeah. see. Yeah. 
and some sort of traveling performance. Uh, the, the, the IMDb plot is a carefree girl is sold to a traveling entertainer. Sold? Yeah, sold, dude. It's fucked up, right? <laughs> Uh, consequently enduring physical and emotional pain along the way. So, Fuck. Not a fun uh, adventure, right? Oh, oh yeah, it's, it's a Fellini movie. I forgot. I think I, uh, I think the only Fellini movie I've seen is Eight and a Half. So the thing about Fellini is just I don't know, have no idea where to go from Eight and a Half. Yeah. So I, I, I kind of just like this one just fit in for me this year. Yeah. I mean, I guess the one after Eight and a Half I would recommend is uh, La Dolce Vita, but I, I wouldn't recommend it to you because it's it's so long. You'll never wrap your head I around it. I bet I did it. look at that. <laughs> yeah. And, and you, I was like, no, 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 no. Give me La Strada. Also, 108 minutes for La Strada. Uh, Super comfortable runtime there. Yeah. Knights of Kabiria, I would also recommend. That's a good one. With oh, Also yeah. with uh, Julieta Messina. Yeah, I, I don't also know. So see now. Not a, not a bad uh, place to I'm start. just learning right now is that... Uh, this movie did win the Oscar for Best Foreign Language Film um, in that year, 57. And I forgot, we've talked about this on another podcast, that this was back when Dino De Laurentiis was like <laughs> Fellini's go-to producer. Mm-hmm. So he mm-hmm. has an Oscar for uh, La Strada, which is hilarious because he went on to like produce like Flash Gordon and like Firestarter <laughs> and I think Hannibal maybe because he was working for like a long time. Mm-mm. It's just what a fucking weird filmography. He produced Army of Darkness, uh, Blue Velvet, Manhunter, Maximum Overdrive, <laughs> and, uh, and La Strada. Um, <laughs> also, I see Anthony Quinn is in here. Is uh, that's weird? Because you know, I I associate him with, of course, English speaking movies. Is he speaking French in this? Do you do you remember? Colin? Oh, I don't remember. I probably saw this like either high school or the year after high school. <laughs> it's been a while. Maybe that's hardcore, man. You're watching La Strada in high school. Well, I mean, like, Fellini... I'm still working my way through the basics. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Fellini was like the one of the first foreign, like classic foreign directors I got into. He was like kind of 101 for Criterion type movies for me. So yeah. I just think that's so funny. I wasn't even dabbling with like Criterion in high school. For me, it was like, you guys want to watch this classic film I heard about called Field of Dreams? <laughs> <laughs> that's where I was at. Hey, Field of Dreams is good. Burt Lancaster, your guy. I love that guy. Charming as hell in that movie. Uh, but yeah, La Strada, uh, I got to check me out some more Fellini. That's all. Mm-hmm. Sounds good. Nothing wrong with that. Mm-hmm. Nothing wrong with that. I hope not. Is he, is he, he hasn't been canceled <laughs> posthumously, has he? I've, I've, I've never heard anything bad. But I know. We'll, we'll find out, I guess. <laughs> um, my next one is, I think, my, my longest one. Probably the only one that counts as a long movie. Um... So look, I have seen the first three and the fifth Terrence Malick film, but I've never seen the fourth one. I don't know. Maybe it's fucked up. Maybe it's canceled now. Uh, <laughs> it's called The New World. 
It seems to be an adaptation of the John Smith Pocahontas story, um, but done in the Terrence Malick style. Um, it is 172 minutes, which is long, but it's not nearly as long as some of the shit you guys are putting up with, oh. so I can't complain. Is that like a director's cut? It is okay. a extended cut of the film. Right. Because I've seen this Supervised movie by Emmanuel Lubetsky and Terrence Malick. All right. Because I have seen this movie and I didn't remember it being that long. Oh. Yeah. Well, there you go. It's uh, there are actually three cuts on the mo- on the Criterion. It looks like now that I'm reading the special features. There's the uh, the 172 extended cut, uh, which is the main one featured. But now that I see in the special features, there's also a 135 minute theatrical cut and a 150 first cut. Uh, I don't know who wants to see the first cut of a movie. <laughs> That's. Uh, I oh, oh I, I know, that. I know. I, I've heard the Alien Three assembly cut is the best version of <laughs> Alien Three. Cool. Just, just, just giving you that. <laughs> hey, it's a Fincher movie. He's got some yeah, criterions. Maybe sure. Alien Three will find its way, <laughs> find a new audience. Um. Yeah. Well, Colin, you've seen it, and you know that it has Colin Farrell as uh, John Smith, and That's right, it does. Christian Bale's in there. West Studi, of course. How could they make it without him? Oh, for Mystery Men. Um, and other stuff. Yes. <laughs> I definitely don't remember this movie that well. Because I probably saw it around the time that I saw La Strada. Which was, you know, when I first got my Netflix disc membership. And I was just like watching uh, artsy movies all the time. I don't don't remember loving this movie that much, but again, I was young and stupid and may have not (laughs) grasped it. Yeah, Colin, you might be surprised to find out it's a film of uncommon power and technical splendor. It it might be. It shows Malick at the height of his visual and philosophical power. Yeah, maybe it is. That is the, uh, that's what Criterion says. Hey, they I'm not very impressed with this artwork, by the way. It's, uh, it's like a painting of people looking at ships. It's fine, but it's not like jaw dropping. <laughs> That's surprising. I feel we don't really talk enough about the covers in our. Reviews. I feel like anytime someone does a painting, it's automatically impressive. But I, yeah, it's, it's a fine painting. It's not. It's not incredible. It's like you get it. It, it, it conveys the feeling of oh fuck, these people are fucked. <laughs> sure, which is which is right. Yeah. yeah, but but you know with Terrence Malick, I mean it is it, it is clearly set at twilight, so of course you can tell it's a Malick film. But mm-hmm. I'd like it to be even prettier. But maybe it's just it's not a pretty story. I don't know. What do you want to talk about now, Colin? What do I want to talk about? Well. We're going back to Italy. May, may, well, at least for the last time. Here we for go. Me. Yeah. Mario would be loving this podcast. <laughs> sure, he's a huge fan. Uh, 
And in this movie, Italy's even in the title of the movie. It's called Journey to Italy. It is a Roberto Rossellini movie. I watched Ooh. one of his movies for Criterion Month maybe two years ago. Uh, Rome Open City and thought it was great gave it a five star review i was like i should probably see more rossellini movies didn't happen as is often the case with uh, with criterion directors even if they're a revelation but uh i guess i was just interested in seeing um a movie from the i guess trilogy of movies he made with ingrid bergman who uh, he had a relationship with, and uh, they had a daughter who grew up to be Isabella Rossellini. And I guess this is the... <laughs> it makes it seem like she wasn't originally Isabella Rossellini. <laughs> she was someone else, and she became Isabella Rossellini. Uh, I mean, that's... It's an interesting way to look at childhood. It, it is true if you're, like, a child of, uh, uh, you know, two famous people. It's like, you gotta make your own mark. You gotta become your own person. And I think she managed to do it. So, mm-hmm. I, I stand by Damn framing it, it that way. Uh, you know I love my big beef and cheddar. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, no one ever predicted that the daughter of Roberto Rossellini and Ingrid Bergman was going to be making jokes on 30 Rock. Uh, anyways, this movie seems to actually be in English a fair amount. Because uh, it stars Bergman, who I guess isn't an Italian actress. It's mostly been in American movies. And George Sanders plays her husband who is an actor i've seen a few times he's a british actor that i like he's been in a few hitchcock movies he's probably most famous for being the theater critic in all about eve who's just like he's just like judging everybody the whole movie oh yeah (laughs) that guy rules uh so (laughs) um uh, well except except at the end that's true but I'm, uh, I'm excited to see him star in a movie. That should be fun. Uh, this is um, the closest. So I, I organize these by date for for the month so we can do our reviews in order. Mm-hmm. This is the closest I think we've ever come between two releases. Both <laughs> Italian films released in 1954. Journey to Italy came out one day after La Strada. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah. The 6th of September for Lestrada, the 7th of September for Journey to Battling Italy. it out at the box office. <laughs> what, a t- what a time to be Italian. What a time. That sounds like a great <laughs> lyric in a, an Italian song. <laughs> like a Dean Martin song. Yeah. What a time to be Italian. <laughs> oh, that's just a great phrase. That should be like the good name of like a movie. What a time to be Italian! Of a what movie? Oh, just like of a, a movie. Okay. Just, you know, it'd be like a, like one of those like an omnibus like anthology film of different uh, short films about Italy. What a time to be Italian! <laughs> yeah, yeah. It would be yeah, like we did Paris May, but yeah, for Italy. <laughs> it'd probably mostly be about pasta, but one of them has the ghost of D. Martin. 
Sure. Because <laughs> I think Paris has a, a, a segment with the ghost of Oscar Wilde, so you got to at least have one ghost. I just feel like it's weird to have a guy who, as far as I know, never lived in Italy. He's just of Italian descent. Uh, well, then who should they get the ghost of? Roberto Benigni. The, so his, the ghost, okay. Okay. It is confusing because he's alive, but okay. Who's well? What's that? What's that one movie? Is it like a Reese Witherspoon movie where it's like you think she's dead, but she's actually like in a coma or something? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I don't. That, that's probably in the Criterion Collection, right? Uh, God, I'm just adding to my list of Reese things that I have to look up. I don't even know if it's Reese Witherspoon coma movie or. Just like heaven, jo- maybe. Does it have Mark Ruffalo? Yeah, and John Heater. Yeah, that's it. Whoa, God, all star cast for that one. Based on the French novel, if only it were true, which has a poster with a face and red squares. Oh, I thought you were gonna say balloons. Don't don't fuck with me here. This is serious. I well. well I have to prepare for my next pick, but while Colin was talking at one period of time, I was scrolling through every cover in the Criterion Collection, and I'm probably going to go back to scrolling through that um, once I'm done talking about my movie. What do you I, think I've been doing this whole time? <laughs> <laughs> well, at least I'll know when I see it. You're not. I, I don't even. I thought it was balloons. Maybe it's not even balloons. It's, it's got to not be I balloons. It. <sighs> I'll know it when I see it. Um. Oh, but first, I gotta do my my next pick. Uh, so mine, you know, this is funny because Colin actually mentioned the director uh, of my next pick, and while talking about his last pick, I uh, for my nineteen twenties pick, the Lodger story of the London Fog by Alfred Hitchcock. I don't see that guy you're talking about in the cast, Colonel Sanders or whatever. Uh, This is a pretty British movie. I think it was in his early talkies, like Rebecca and Foreign Correspondent. Yeah, and this is early Hitchcock that I'm doing here. This is literally his third movie. I think the oldest Hitchcock movie I've seen is The Lady Vanishes, which is is also pretty old. That's probably only a, a handful after this. I don't know. He did so many movies early on. Seems like people would just knock him out back then. Um, What I know about... What was that? I think the 39 Steps is the 30s. That's probably as far back as I go. Yeah. Um, When's Lady Vanishes? God, I'm going to... See, if I click on Alfred Hitchcock and then click on filmography, then I have to scroll through like 50 movies because he did so many. Um... God, it's not worth it. I'll do it later. There's just too much to sort through here. Uh, but this this sounds like it's supposed to be kind of like a take on um, kind of like a Jack the Ripper type story. A serial killer in London um, killing people and I'm trying to solve the mystery. Sounds like the perfect premise for a Hitchcock movie. It's crazy that even when he first started, he's like, yeah, this is my thing. I, murder mystery like and that's pretty much what he did the whole time I mean there's variations but, he, but he's just so fucking good at it 
Um, but mainly, I, I picked this um, be just because it, it fits so... Um, it fit nicely into what I was doing here for my 20s pick. Because most of the 20s movies in the Criterion collection, I feel like, are Harold Lloyd <laughs> comedies. Mm. And we've already done, like, three of those. Oh, we've, we've actually done a pretty good job of covering the 20s on Criterion. Yeah, I mean, I usually like, I, I, try to yeah. do a silent movie. And there, yeah, there just aren't that many in the Criterion Collection. We've done a, a good amount. Like, it's not re- like I look through those and I'm like, yeah, yeah, I get it. Like, nothing that feels like, oh, I gotta watch this. I feel like we've pretty much covered the essentials. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, this isn't really an essential. This is like, I don't know what tier of Hitchcock this is on. <laughs> I guess that'll be the fun part of finding out because I feel like there's like three tiers of Hitchcock. Yeah. Um. So that'll be interesting. Uh, yeah, I don't recognize anyone in the cast at a glance, um, except for Alfred Hitchcock as extra in Newspaper Office and Man in Angry Mob. Whoa, ooh, two roles, yeah, multiple, multiple characters. Uh, there's a huge section on the Wikipedia for this, just talking about Hitchcock's cameos. Uh, so yeah, I don't really know how significant. Oh, there's Wikipedia will tell me there's a part that says significance and legacy. Um, but I'll work that into my review. It's uh, it's pretty well regarded, but I don't really hear people talk about it. Um, so that that's kind of fun, you know. I'll, I'll get to talk about it because because sometimes I feel like when you pick a really really famous good movie, like the year I picked Persona, I was like, well, what the fuck am I going to add to the conversation? <laughs> uh, whereas something like The Lodger, I feel like yeah, there's probably not as many people my age writing about this kind of stuff, so. Mm-hmm. Maybe this is a good pick. We'll see, man. We'll see. Always down to watch some Hitch. I mean, except for the movie Hitch. Uh, I don't know. Maybe that's great. I'm sure it's a good time. It's it's probably fun. Ah, I wish I could watch Hitch. (laughs) Nothing stopping you. No, no. Things are stopping (laughs) me. It's it's not significant enough. Um, speaking of things that maybe aren't significant enough, my next pick. Um, so, uh, a little while ago, Criterion put out a Bruce Lee box set and I just drank that right up. Um, I wanted it. Um, but the thing is I've only ever seen two Bruce Lee movies, Enter the Dragon and Game of Death. Um, I didn't know which of the other ones included in the box set I should watch. So I went with the one that has the name that's very similar to the name of a video game, Fist of Fury. (laughs) (laughs) Um, This one is set in uh, turn-of-the-century Shanghai, and uh, Bruce Lee plays a uh, martial arts student who uh, has his dojo attacked by um, Japanese imperialists. And so he has to um, like go defend his people's honor by, I presume, beating up Japanese people. Um, which sounds like a lot of fun. You, wouldn't you want to watch that? I want to watch that. Yeah. You know what it sounds like? It's uh, Ip, Ip Man. <laughs> Have you ever seen yeah, that? Yeah, I, I would, I would want to watch that. I, I thought about picking a Bruce Lee movie. I don't think I've seen any all the way through. I've just seen parts. I saw a good chunk 
I don't even know if that movie was finished. The one with the tower. What's the one with Kareem Abdul-Jabbar? That's Game of Death, yeah. Yeah. I don't know if that movie's even... I mean, I think there is a version of it. Uh, I don't know if that was technically finished. I should have picked Enter the Dragon. I, I don't know why I didn't. I think... Again, it just didn't fit into my format, but I, I've been ready to check out some Bruce Lee, so I'm, I'm excited for you to do a, a Bruce Lee movie, so maybe that'll motivate me to, uh, to watch some more myself. So which ones did you say you'd seen? I've seen Game of Depth, uh, which, uh, like you were suggesting, is it was a posthumous release that they uh, spliced together with stand-ins. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, it's only sort of a movie, <laughs> but it does have some good fights. Uh, I just remember, like, oh, sorry, I was just going to say, I just remember Kareem Abdul-Jabbar kicking him in the chest, and the footprint is, like, ginormous. Yeah. That's great. It's a great fight. Um, And then there was, also, I've seen Enter the Dragon a bunch of times, because it rules, and it's basically, it's basically Mortal Kombat. (laughs) (laughs) I know, like, I've seen the the whole fight with the guy with the claw chain or, or whatever. Isn't that the weapon? I'm trying to remember his weapon. Or does he have a claw hand? He's got some sort of claw. Uh, where he's like scratching yeah. his chest, um, and that was pretty badass. So, yeah, I'll I'll get to it. Yeah, that's one that I could see myself watching not during Criterion Month because it sounds like enough fun uh, to where I could watch it any time. Well, no, for me, it's this year. It's all about the near misses, so I'm le- I'm sort of leaning into that a little bit. But yeah. this this does save Way of the Dragon if you want to watch that at some point, which is the one with uh, Chuck Norris in it. Where Chuck Norris takes off a shirt. It doesn't even look like he took off a shirt because his chest is so hairy. This is another shirt. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. I like it. Just fucking savage, bro. Yeah. Colin, is your pick fucking savage? (laughs) I'd be surprised. Uh, Probably not. Unless you think just like working class New Yorkers are... Super savage. <laughs> I mean, sometimes. In a way, sometimes, yeah. It can be. Uh, so this is my uh, silent film pick uh, for this year. It's called The Docks of New York. It's directed by Joseph von Sternberg, who is a director of note that I, you know, have always heard of. Haven't seen a single one of his movies. I know he's kind of famous for making a few films with uh, Marlena Dietrich a little bit later in his career, I guess, once sound had been introduced to movies. But this is a 1928 film, so it's like the very tail end of the silent movie era. I think the jazz singer had even come out by this time and it from from his reputation it sounds like it's like a lot of late silent movies that are are still highly regarded it is a movie that kind of mastered filmmaking as a purely visual medium but then uh, after sound was introduced it, it was harder to move the camera around because of all that that clunky sound equipment so uh i don't know Sounds very uh, evocative in terms of like showing this uh, this working class aspect of, of New York at the time, and that's that's about it. That's about all I know. Yep. 
It's nice. Sounds savage, bro. It'll it'll <laughs> probably be pretty savage. Okay, let's see. Oh, I gotta go again. Shit. Um, my dog's licking my face and crying at me. <laughs> he hates this. Um. Okay. God, it's just funny. We do these and it's like, okay, here's... Now let me present to you this movie that I don't know anything about. Um, I realized recently that I don't think I'd ever seen an Almodovar film. So uh-huh. I'm gonna I'm gonna pick him for my for my '80s entry with uh, women on the verge of a nervous breakdown. You've probably seen this, right? Carl? I have. I own the Criterion of this. You own it. I haven't watched. Did you? Ha- it have yet. you? Oh, you have. Ha- well, you haven't seen it. I've seen right? it. Have you seen I just it? haven't You've watched the Blu-ray. Okay. Gotcha, yeah. gotcha, gotcha. Well, what compelled you to buy it? I just like this movie. I, I hadn't seen it in a while. It's definitely one of his most approachable movies. Probably just his most purely fun movie that I've seen of his. I feel like a lot of his movies that have kind of been more well received uh in america are, are more of his dramatic movies but this was kind of the first one that he made a big splash with internationally and it is kind of just like a screwball comedy uh but also you know in his very sort of colorful distinctive style um yeah his movies are always just super fun to look at yeah, I mean, I picked it because it fit well into the uh, to my '80s box. Um, it sounds like it was the one that brought him, because I don't know his first film was his breakout film, at least internationally. Yeah, it got um, Academy Award nomination for Best Foreign Language Film, won a bunch of Goya awards. It's got a guy Antonio, um, who's like his dude. Yeah. So looking forward to that. I don't think I did the plot synopsis. Um, but I gotta do it for Sean. A television actress encounters a variety of eccentric characters after embarking on a journey to discover why her lover abruptly left her. Uh, sounds like somebody's on the verge of a nervous you-know-what. <laughs> also, it's 88 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. So Released this, this in 88, and it is 88 minutes. Very good. Some good synergy. Can't do that anymore. Yeah. I guess unless you use a 21-minute movie. <laughs> Who would have the ball? That'd be like a David Lynch thing. He releases a 21-minute movie in theaters. Where he's, you know, doing the weather or something. Yeah. That's, that seems like that's what he's into these days. Eating lunch. Speaking of baby booners who have sort of lost the thread of what made them interesting, uh, I want to finally watch The Big Chill. Mm-hmm. Uh, I... I think we might have talked about this experience I had before uh, because we talked about Body Heat on um, The Pick uh, where I watched maybe the first half hour of The Big Chill with my mom on TV and then she was like, I'm going to bed or whatever. (laughs) Like she just lost interest. (laughs) And so I left. How could she lose interest? This is her generation (laughs) right there on the screen. (laughs) Uh, so I just I know so much about how this movie starts um, and I want to see how it all uh, how it all pays off 
It's uh, it's like I, I brought up uh, Body Heat because it's uh, one of uh, Lawrence Kasdan's directorial efforts. Uh, I believe this was after Body Heat. Uh, it's got a all star cast leading the charge is Tom Berenger, but also people who are still more relevant are in it too, like uh, like our man William Hurt and Glenn Close. And Jeff hey, Goldblum. Tom Berenger is in Inception. And that was like 10 years ago? <laughs> I can't remember. What did he do in that movie? Uh, wasn't he... he sta- didn't he stand by someone's bed or something? Yeah, he's like the friend of the dad. <laughs> Pete Postlewaite? Okay. Oh, yeah. He's like Pete Postlewaite's like friend or like advisor. Yeah. Friend. And so they're, they're going to use him to trick Killian Murphy. And I believe um, some of the time Tom Hardy is Tom Berenger in Inception. All right, here. I, 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 got, I got Tom Berenger's breakdown for Inception. Tom Berenger plays Peter Browning, Robert Fisher's godfather and fellow executive at the Fisher's company. Berenger said Browning acts as a surrogate father to Fisher who calls the character Uncle Peter and emphasizes that Browning has been with Robert his whole life and has probably spent more quality time with him than his own father. There's that little breakdown of Tom Berenger's yeah. character from Inception. <laughs> Powerful stuff. Yeah, you know, I needed the refresh. Uh, yeah. So uh, these are, uh, if you've never seen The Big Chill, I can tell you with great certainty what it's about. It's a group of friends who are getting together uh, sometime after college, after one of their friends has committed suicide. The movie starts with the funeral for that person. And they all get together at one of their huge palatial houses that they live in because, of course, they're baby boomers, so they're all rich and successful. Fucking boomers. That's what they should have called this movie. (laughs) Fucking boomers. (laughs) Good soundtrack, though. Yeah. That's that's what hooked me, was the soundtrack. A lot of Motown. Ain't too proud to beg? Mm. Love it. I mean, in that cast... Yeah, you gotta watch it for the cast. I mean, the the movie opens up with this great montage set to um, "You Can't Always Get What You Want." That uh, was pretty pretty great. Yeah, dude. Does your next pick have a cool montage in it, Colin? Oh, I I bet it does. It's gotta. Oh. It's a, uh, probably like a super violent montage. It's uh, <laughs> oh, sweet. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Since I I uh, reviewed Lady Snowblood last year, I f- I figured I gotta review the sequel, Lady Snowblood: Love Song of Vengeance. Oh, nice. Oh, cool. Yeah. Don't uh, yeah. Don't really know what to expect. I feel like it came out pretty quickly after the first one yeah the first one came out in 73 this one came out in 74 and then they were just done making making these movies i guess like wayne's world (laughs) the old one-two punch god speaking of criterion month apathy i remember reading a review of lady snowblood last year and thinking god this movie sounds so sweet I've had a full year uh, with nothing to do yeah, in it, yeah, no, and I still haven't watched it. It's definitely a Sean movie. <laughs> you, you should probably check it out sometime. Don't believe it's that long. I'm sure they're both. This one's 90 minutes. The first one is oh. 
96 minutes. God, yeah. I'm just pissed. If I had watched it, I could have stolen this pick from you this year. It would have been <laughs> That's so true. Good. God, that would have been a twist. If you're just like, guess what, Colin? I saw Lady Snowblood one. Suck it. <laughs> I'm, I'm watching the sequel. No. God damn it. Oh, well. So I'll just never watch them. <laughs> That's the spirit. Mm-hmm. Uh, does this have like? I'm pretty sure I asked this about last time you did a, one of these Snowblood movies. Does this like have some sort of Tarantino connection? Yeah, like, did yeah. Did you steal anything from this? Yeah, well, yeah. The Kill Bill definitely borrows a lot in terms of style from. Uh, at least the first one. I don't know about the second one. I, re- I think I read that Tarantino was like playing the first Lady Snowblood on a DVD to his actors on the set of Kill Bill. So it's like, yeah, that's totally the vibe he was going for with Kill Bill. Of course. Nice. Oh, Quentin. Is there any Quentin in the Criterion? I don't think so, right? Uh, yeah, I don't Probably think not. so. I, I could imagine. I could imagine them putting Jackie Brown in there. I feel like they put like yeah. they give him a box set, maybe. But even that would be like I don't know. I just I feel like his movies are too. I don't know. Probably valuable to whoever owns the rights to them. But. Yeah, I mean, if Reservoir Dogs getting that sweet gas can edition. <laughs> I feel like you get cool, like, new editions of Tarantino movies, like, every couple of years, too. Yeah. Yeah. Every few years, someone turns 13 and (laughs) falls in love with Quentin Tarantino. Pretty much. It's just a part of growing up. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That should have been a part of boyhood. (laughs) (laughs) He's doing Tarantino. He's watching Pulp Fiction. They're just saying all the lines. Putting a Kill Bill poster up up in his room. That would be dope. All right, I think it's John, yeah. Okay, I really, really need to use the bathroom, so I'm going to take a few minutes to do that. While I'm doing that, I would like you guys to discuss the most you've ever had to go to the bathroom in a movie theater. I'll be right back. Oh, the answer to that one is very easy. The Avengers Endgame. Oh, Uh, yeah, I forgot. I had to pee, like, almost the second the movie started. Uh, it was hurting so bad by the time we got to the final battle because that is a three-hour movie. Yep. Um, that I was like definitely like weighing, like there like I saw three paths where like maybe I can keep holding it and there will maybe some sort of permanent damage will be done. I don't know. I've never heard of that. Or I got to go to the bathroom and miss part of the greatest movie I've ever seen. Or, option three, I gotta pee my pants, and will my friends still be friends with me if I pee my pants? Uh, oh, man. I, I think we still would have been friends with you, but we'd be rough. Come back. <laughs> we'd have to... We'd have to uh, I don't know. I don't know if we would actually talk about it. We'd probably just be like, okay, Sean, go clean yourself up. And then we'd just talk yeah. about it again. Because yeah. that's how we deal with things. <laughs> Very healthy. Mm-hmm. I honestly can't yeah. really remember any time that I like really had to go to the bathroom. I feel like I've always just gone to the bathroom if I had to. And 
I just I don't even do it that often. Honestly, the last time I can remember going to the bathroom in the middle of a movie was the first Transformers. Oh wow! It was fucking long, and I was just like, eh, "This isn't that good." <laughs> also, Bernie Mac hasn't been in this for a while. I also feel like I was just like waiting too long for the robots to fight, and I was just like, "Are these robots gonna fight or what?" <laughs> but, and I think by the time I got back to the theater, the robots were in the middle of fighting, and I was like, "All right, this is what I'm talking about." Okay, uh, I hope that was a stimulating conversation. <laughs> It's better than uh, I it turns out the answer is uh, big budget blockbusters. Yeah. I can tell you for me it was the second time Oh, was that the worst? I want to say the second time I saw Phantom Menace. I was like, I'm going to explode. <laughs> it's funny because the second time it's like you know what you're missing. That was the thing, but that, like because that was the first time I'd ever gone to the bathroom during a movie, uh, you know, apart from uh, a little kid. It was the first time like I did it as myself, like as a man. <laughs> <laughs> You want to know the most embarrassing time I had to go to the yes, during yes, a movie? Yes, 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 um, It was during uh, the theatrical release of The Lion. <laughs> this, this sucks. I hate this story. I, there, is, there, is, there is the scene. Where I think I don't remember exactly. It might be one of the ones in the elephant graveyard, or it might be the one where Mufasa dies. Where it was so intense for me, I saw it with my uncle, and I was like, "I need to go to the bathroom because I I like needed a break from the movie. <laughs> like I couldn't take it anymore, so I had to fake going to the bathroom because Lion King was freaking me out too much." <laughs> well, that's good. That's a, that's a good story. Went on to be one of my favorite Disney movies. Won you over, man. Mm-hmm. I just love them eating those juicy bugs. Juicy bugs. I was trying to think if that ties into my next movie, but I don't know if it does. Though I assume there's some weird shit going on in it. Uh, so from it's my turn, right? I lost track because I went to the bathroom. Believe yeah, it's still so. your turn. Okay. Um, this was one of the last films I picked. And I didn't even really know it existed until recently. Um, yeah. Because it's a movie that was remade, and I, what, I, for some reason, I must have forgotten that the remake was a remake. I didn't realize this. Um, it's the movie, uh, well, the one I'm picking is the 60s version of The Housemaid, South Korean movie. You guys remember when that was, uh, when that was remade? No. Not a super well known movie. I think so. Anyways, um,. I don't really know anything about this movie. Oh, I think I had it confused with another movie entirely. What's the... No, I, yeah, I did have it confused with something else. What's the... Well, who's the old boy guy? What's the movie he did? That also has a similar title. The, the Handmaid? Handmaid. Okay, yeah. So, so then I, I picked the original of a movie that I thought was something else. That's hilarious. Uh, so let me tell you about this movie I know nothing about then because it's not even what I thought it was. Uh, the Housemaid is a 60s crime drama thriller. A composer and his wife are thrown into turmoil when a housemaid becomes more than they bargained for. So yeah, I didn't even read into this movie. I just assumed it was the original of another movie. 
So I think that just goes to show the kind of research, the kind of uh, crack research that's put into a Criterion Month. This was honestly just me like, um, like I, I the sixties is such a great decade for Criterion too. But I was like, oh, I've already picked a French movie, I've already picked an Italian movie, a Japanese movie, and I was like, oh, South South Korea. I love modern South Korea films, but like I don't think I've seen a lot of old ones. So this one kind of stood out to me as like a sixties South Korean movie. I don't I don't really know what their film scene was like back then. Um, yeah, I'm surprised. Or what South Korean culture? Was like. <laughs> yeah, I'm surprised they even had one at that point. It's... I think that's the thing. It was just such a like, oh, wait, what? There's a South Korean movie from 1960, and it's in the Criterion Collection. It's not, not that long after the uh, <laughs> Korean War. Yeah. yeah. Um, definitely a little you know it's funny I, I did watch the trailer too like a while back and I still didn't figure out that this wasn't related to that other movie mm-hmm. um, apparently it's part of a trilogy too I was worried for a minute that I was watching like the second one in a trilogy but no it is the first one in a trilogy by director Kim Ki Young mm-hmm. um, who I don't know anything about this has this sounds like it has pleasant surprise written all over it but you never know be pretty cool uh, if there was a 60s version of the handmaiden though because there are not just, a lot of well, I, it, gay yeah, movies i just got the titles mixed far. up i just got the titles mixed up and i didn't realize it until we're recording this right now um but i think i'll stick with this pick just because it'd be too hard to rearrange my list um it's in the criterion collection it's got to be interesting right yeah it has let's give, to be let's give it a shot it has to be. What's the worst movie I've ever watched for Criterion Month? Probably one that I did for the Criterion Horror edition. We did that one time. Um, I remember not liking the movie. Well, no, this is obvious. It's it's Sallow. Or <laughs> <Sodom>. <laughs> it's my least favorite movie that I've ever seen. Yeah. It's one of, uh, I think I only have five half-star reviews on Letterboxd, and it's one of them. And like for a movie that is mostly like well made, I just I'm that offended by it that I gave it that low of a rating. But I feel good about um, Housemate. I don't think there's going to be any uh, people eating poop in it. <laughs> John, is there One any people eating help. poop in your movie? Uh, no, but they're probably shitting their pants because it's <laughs> motherfucking Godzilla. <laughs> <laughs> Hell yeah, dude. I uh, I bought the whole set. The entire oh, Showa yeah. era of Godzilla movies. I was wondering to dig into this. I have to watch at least <laughs> one of them. Um, I, I'm pretty sure I want to watch the Japanese original, although the Criterion release does also include the 1956 American rework Godzilla King of the Monsters, which, ha- which shares a title with another movie I've seen this year. Um... But uh, I think I'm going to go with the 1954 Japanese original directed by Ishiro Honda. Uh, it sounds like it stands up more as a metaphor for Japan uh, dealing with the devastation of the uh, nuclear attack that occurred at the end of World War II. Uh, and it's also got a man in a rubber suit smashing a scale model of the city. I mean, what's not to love? Um, I don't know. I haven't seen it in a long time. I remember seeing the uh, the American Americanized version first. Is that in the box set? Mm-hmm. Probably not. 
No, it Maybe, is. Though. I was. Oh, it is really. The one with Raymond Burr as uh, Steve Martin is the name of his character. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> and it's weird because they did a sequel to that one in like the '80s, and I've never heard anyone talk about Ooh. Godzilla 1984. <laughs> I'm sure it sucks, but I uh, I have seen the original Godzilla, and it's very good. Uh, it's crazy to me to think that Japan was doing like this um, this movie that was like a response to like the hydrogen bomb dropping, like so soon after, like only so many years removed after the incident actually took place. They're already like doing like a social commentary on it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I you got it. Fascinating. Yeah, you gotta. That's. Um, the only thing you're thinking about that at that point in time. I mean, all I think all great monsters are metaphors for something. So, I think Godzilla is one of the more poignant ones. Mm-hmm. And plus, you, just, you you got to enjoy him recently in uh, Kong's Godzilla, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah, I watched uh, yeah the three of the four MonsterVerse movies just a few weeks ago. I decided not to revisit the 2014 Godzilla, but I hadn't seen any of the other ones, so I was in kind of a mood. Also, this yeah. is in the Criterion Collection twice. Uh, Godzilla <laughs> is in it by itself, yeah. by number 594. And the Showa-era collection, uh, which includes Godzilla, is by number 1000. It's crazy to me to think that all those shitty Godzilla like 70s movies are now in the Criterion Collection. <laughs> oh, That's yeah. so funny. I remember I was talking about, like, oh, we, should, we could do a Godzilla like uh, Halloween Criterion thing. I, I just don't know if I'd want to. <laughs> it is uh, 1954 to 1975. 15 movies in that box set. Okay, so f- uh, I wonder how many there are post that, though. Like, how many Godzilla movies total? It's impossible um, to say. It's too it's many. <laughs> I mean, you don't think I could just Google how many Godzilla movies? I'm doing it. I'm doing it with one hand. Whoa. What are you doing with that other hand? <laughs> Resting my head against it. Uh, 36. Yeah, you could do a whole month. Oh my god. It's a double up if you want to do, uh, do them all. It's a 36 if you take away the five American Godzilla yeah. movies. That's still 31. That's there still a full month. Yeah. Well, maybe. But I have a different vision for October, And I'll talk about that at the end of the podcast. Okay. Does Colin have a different vision for his next pick? I certainly hope so, because he can't also pick Godzilla. That's against the rules. Uh, yeah, I did not. Though I did pick a sort of sci-fi movie about the after effects of war. It is a British movie from 1936 called Things to Come. Uh, screenplay by H.G. Wells. And, Whoa. Yeah. Directed by William Cameron Menzies, who seems like he was more of a production designer, a a very prolific one. In fact, his Wikipedia page says he invented the title production designer. That's how serious he is about production design. So, I mean, that sounds just like an interesting thing to see like a master production designer create the world of the future as uh, envisioned by H.G. Wells I'm not I'm not really sure how 
this works from a story standpoint because it looks like the film like starts in the 30s and there's just like ongoing war and the war just like keeps going on through the decades and it like the movie ends in like the, the like 20 oh yeah it says story ends in AD 2054 so <laughs> I'm excited to see what they thought uh our, our still future would look like in the 30s. Seems like some of the people have uh, like astronaut outfits, but like the head piece is like very big. It looks silly, but uh, I mean, it looks fucking cool. It does look cool. I mean, the cover to this one is pretty sweet. I've almost picked this movie for Criterion Month so many times just because of that great cover. Yeah. And because it has H.G. Wells' name on it, and because it's so weird for me to think about uh, sci-fi movies that are pre, like, 1950s, it seems, like, uh, pretty unusual. I mean, you got some of the Universal Monster movies, I guess, are kind of sci-fi. Yeah. But this this definitely seems like an outlier. You got Metropolis also, which I, th- oh, I think yeah, I read that H.G. Wells kind of wrote this uh kind of as a reaction to metropolis thinking that he could do better what a dick (laughs) it's always crazy for me to think about the hg wells was like around like he always (laughs) just assumed he's like yeah like he got to see the invisible man (laughs) that the the adaptation of his own book i wonder if he liked it like he he lived until like the mid to late 40s so Mm -hmm. He got to see some of this stuff, and it's crazy that he even like wrote a screenplay. It's it's just it's fucking weird, man. It's like if you heard Bram Stoker wrote a screenplay or something. And yeah. Is is so why did what what led you to things to come, Colin? This is a very this feels like a big John pick. I'm just curious. Uh, I don't know. I I guess I'm just always I am interested. I think in early attempts at special effects like i watched the thief of baghdad one of the other years which i actually seem to have some of the same people involved as this movie that that movie was also produced by alexander corda so i i don't know even though i'm not a big sci-fi guy i do always like to see sort of early movie innovation on a technical level you know people trying things that maybe uh they they shouldn't have been trying at that point in time considering the limitations but like i always appreciate the the ambition so sounded interesting on on that front well well good things to come from that review yeah hopefully i hope so all right, guys. I f- remember early in the podcast, I talked about how there's a Criterion cover us trying to find. <laughs> you found it. Well, here's the thing: it's not even a Criterion <laughs> movie. Ugh. I know it's pretty anticlimactic. I was so convinced because of the artwork. I must have. Uh, this is like some Mandela effect shit. I don't know. Maybe when I was stalking, um, like Criterion's back in the day, this was like ended up in the section <laughs> actually that's very possible and that means i did not do a good job that day um it's a billy wilder movie called one two three and it just <laughs> like the poster just looks like such a criterion poster oh i'm gonna send this I to you guys i never yeah. have thought that i've seen that movie i don't even know how i found it oh yeah i was yeah. just searching like red covers 
I mean, it's kind of got the same color scheme as Anatomy for a Murder, which it just looks like a cra- a doesn't that look like a Criterion yeah, cover. It, it looks Saul Bassy, yeah. Yeah, and that's oh for sure. That's got to be a Saul Bass cover. Yeah. That looks like one. Great. So, well, well, maybe, maybe if that ever gets in the Criterion Collection, <laughs> I have to watch it. So for the listener uh, who has been putting together what this looks like. Uh, the details we missed out on. There's an arm holding the balloons. Yep. Um, the face is uh, a woman's face. Uh, it sort of looks like her eyelashes are llamas, but I, I think that's his style. <laughs> I think, just very I think those are just supposed to be eyelashes. Yeah. Uh, and it's an explosive new comedy, according to the poster. <laughs> is this true, Colin? It's it's a very fast paced breakneck movie it's it's james cagney just being on the whole time which is impressive because he was pretty old when he made this movie (laughs) yeah he was like 62 when he made this movie but he's 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 bringing it explosive yeah sure i'd I'd go that far there you have it guys one two three an explosive comedy Comes recommended. This also might be the last good Billy Wilder movie. (laughs) Maybe. I haven't seen all of them. Oh my god. Controversial. Hmm. Okay. Back to me. Uh, With probably, if you can believe it, my most obscure pick. Maybe more obscure than the movie that I talked about uh, earlier. The House Maybe. I Nothing. I don't know, dude. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that was pretty funny. That's pretty embarrassing in retrospect. I didn't even I didn't even do my homework enough to realize that it you know, we don't need to go into it again. But for my next movie, it's not even like on its own criterion. It's part of one of those like collection criterions, like a collection of films. Okay. Um, sure. It's on Martin Scorsese's World Cinema Project. Ooh, okay. uh, number three Blu-ray collection. Um and I found this movie that just sounded cool to me, and it fit well into what I'm doing here. It's called Dos Moñes uh, from Mexico, a 30s movie. Hmm. Um, and I think it is sort of horror-related, and that's what drew me into it. Um, that, and it happened to be from Mexico, so that worked out well for me. Um, Dos Moñes means two monks. And 79 minutes, so it's already my favorite pick for this year. <laughs> uh, the premise. Um, oh, somebody, whoa, somebody wrote like a fucking essay here. Okay, here you go. <laughs> In a gothic-styled monastery, a monk named Javier sees the face of another monk, Juan, and suddenly attempts to bludgeon him to death with a heavy crucifix. This goes on like pretty cool. long, so I'm just going to keep it. That sounds awesome. Uh, so yeah, like weird drama horror monk thriller from Mexico in the 30s. That's such a weird combination of things. Um, definitely sounds like my tempo. Uh, sounds like it does like a Rash- Rashomon kind of different point of view narrative technique. Oh. Also, more trivia on IMDb. It says this is the second horror movie in Mexican cinema. Uh, <laughs> I've seen the first one was probably like a silent movie or something, but that's interesting to me. Um I hope this movie is easy to watch. I didn't look at that yet. I can tell you it is not on the Criterion channel, so you're going to have to okay. go outside of that. Um, well, I'm looking it up. God, what if I have to buy Martin Scorsese's World Cinema Project 3? <laughs> it's so hard. I keep spelling it wrong. 
Uh, dos Munoz. I'm looking it up. Oh yeah, here it is two monks. Uh, well, we'll see. We'll see if I, yeah. I, I don't think you can rent it anywhere. But I sometimes I had to go to some some weird places to watch, and God created woman that one year. Um, so we'll see what happens with this one. It's gonna be a tricky one, but I'm gonna try because it sounds cool. I'm hoping since it's kind of horror that you know that will help because you know there's a lot of genre diehards out there that um, you know will make this stuff available. Yeah, while we're thinking about that, I would also put Pose to Colin. The Emigrants might be tricky to, to find. Why do you say that? Does not appear to be on the Criterion channel or anything that Just Watch has. Shit. <laughs> yeah, I'll have to figure I, something I, out. I knew it. You can watch, you can watch Dos Munoz on YouTube. Question is, can I find one with subtitles? <laughs> Well, it's, it's, I think it's. It looks like it's kind of. It looks maybe silent. Again, I've done. I've really done my homework here. Hey, that's okay. I've done a ton of homework for my next pick, so I'll talk about that while you guys think. Okay. Because uh, again, my theme is thing movies I've nearly watched. Yes. Um, and this one was put on my radar the very day uh, in 2014 that Bob Hoskins died. Uh, it is his star-making movie. Uh, it's called The Long Good Friday. Came out in 1980. Also stars Helen Mirren. Uh, and uh, Hoskins plays a, uh, a gangster who is, I think, like getting to be kind of old. And so he's trying to go legit. And he's trying to set up a deal with the American Mafia to uh, like buy out a chunk of london and uh set it up as a venue for the olympic games so i want to watch it this year not only because it fit my sort of theme but also because uh there's also an ill-advised olympics maybe happening this summer um and uh, i know it also has to uh, do with the ira um and that is also uh extra relevant with uh, brexit having finally happened this year um, so a lot of a lot of political tie-ins from a movie that's uh, released in 1979, um, and and yeah, everyone says that uh, the Bob Hoskins performance is just like breathtaking in this. He's supposed to be pretty incredible, and uh, I know that uh, Pierce Brosnan also shows up in one of his earliest roles. I believe he's an unnamed character later on in this movie. Uh, so get to look forward to that uh i don't i don't know the director he's a british director or um, i think scottish maybe uh name well just i'm just saying that based on the name so that's racist but john mckenzie is his name um i, I don't know anything else he's he's done but uh but yeah it's uh it's a movie a lot of people i think Patton oswald was one of the ones talking about it on twitter when bob hoskins died made it seem like a fun movie to uh to watch or at least a good movie because crime doesn't pay you know you mentioned sean that this had pierce Brosnan, but you didn't mention that this had paul freeman aka ivan ooze <laughs> nice <laughs> and, and the bad guy from raiders of the lost ark but to me he's mostly ivan ooze yeah and, and the he best actor has, in that movie he actually has a name 
in this movie, and his name is Colin. Who is next? <laughs> That's true. <laughs> that is true. So, this is our last pick, right? Number ten. Mm-hmm. The yes. end of the road. All right. So John kind of stole my thunder again <laughs> choosing a director that I was going to choose. I was going to do the the one Omadovar movie in the Criterion Collection I hadn't seen, which is Tie Me Up, Tie Me Down. But I think I'm going to pivot to a different movie. I fucked things up. It's, it's fine. Uh, I'm going to do To Sleep With Anger which is a Charles Burnett movie starring Danny Glover I think Sean mentioned Charles Burnett last year in his pick because he was part of the LA Rebellion uh, kind of film scene but sure he, uh, yeah you didn't you didn't review one of his movies because I Mm-mm. I guess this would have been the only one to review uh, a, li- a little bit later in his career I, I um Killer of Sheep was kind of its breakout in the late 70s. This is a 1990 movie. Uh, since I just decided to do this, I, I don't know much about it. Sounds like Danny Glover is just a guy who like shows up at uh, like is it like his family members or a friend? Yeah, an old friend's door. And he just like hangs out with him, but he's like kind of a chaotic presence, and nobody's sure what he's up to. Uh, kind of sounds like that Hitchcock movie, Shadow of a Doubt, but it doesn't seem to be a, a thriller or anything. Uh, so yeah, uh, I'll be interested to see it, I guess, since I haven't seen any Charles Burnett movies. Is this a recent edition? I think it's fairly recent. It is Spine 963. So, yeah, probably added in the last couple years. It's got a cool painting as its cover. It's got a great just poster on its Wikipedia. (laughs) The original. It looks like Danny Glover might be Satan. Yeah, the original poster, there's a pretty big disparity between the original poster and the Criterion cover in terms of tone. The original poster makes it look like it's uh, comedy or I don't, I don't know, a, a hider in the it house def- type It looks like a movie. menacing comedy. Yeah, <laughs> a menacing comedy. Yeah, this looks like sure. a thriller. Yeah. A comedy, a dark comedic thriller. Yeah. looks like the tagline is choose your destiny (laughs) yeah because he's got he's got little cards with all the characters on it Uh, i don't know what's going on there but yeah guess we'll find out okay so for my last pick it's a movie i feel slightly more prepared to talk about um, and it's pretty appropriate because it's my last pick and for my last pick you guys i'm picking the last wave uh, this is a 1977 Australian mystery drama from Peter Weir. Of course, I uh, did a Peter Weir movie last year. I watched Picnic at Hanging Rock, oh, yeah. and which I liked. And uh, this is the last Peter Weir uh, movie in the Criterion Collection so far. So all of 100%ed him in the Criterion Collection. <laughs> that Keep is until they until they put 
What? Achievement What'd unlocked. <laughs> Until they put Master and Commander in the Criterion Collection, or yeah, do you think they maybe they do that, or what else could they, I'm looking at his filmography? Because thing about Peter Weir is he he broke out pretty big in in America. Of course, he made Witness, Dead Poet Society, Truman Show, Fearless. Eh, I don't think any of these are gonna end. Mos- yeah, Mosquito Coast. I, I maybe I see the Truman Show. Maybe it has its fans. Um, last wave was kind of his. I mean, he's he made Gallipoli after it, so I guess that was like his last, like truly Australian movie before he went to America. Mm-hmm. Um, this is definitely him getting more and more prominent. Um, I think what intrigues me about this is apparently it's like so. So the premise is that um, Richard Chamberlain, of course, was the original Jason Bourne. Do you guys know that Mm-mm. Jason Bourne, a Bourne identity I movie I, I think I in the eighties? Know that because I think Sean <laughs> Chamberlain's family had it like a yeah, he, he, like he a two a, VHS a of, it. of it. It's like a mini series or like a two part movie yeah. of the the Bourne identity with Richard Chamberlain. Um, but in this movie, he plays a white solicitor in Sydney, um, and then he takes on a murder case where he's going to defend a group of Aborigines accused of yeah a murder. But then, like, he might also have, like, some sort of magical connection to them. I'm really hoping that's not problematic now that I'm reading it. I don't know. <laughs> um, but, yeah, the it, that fact that it's, like, vaguely supernatural, vaguely a thriller. I, you know, I always like when, when genres get kind of blurred together. And, you know, when we do these, these criterion lists over the years, it's funny how you find yourself interested in certain movie trends like it, it, it seems like over the years sean you've you've found a, 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 an interest in kind of heist particularly like french heist movies <laughs> and, and for me i've i've gotten really interested in 70s australian movies because you know they did their own they had their kind of new hollywood movement over there but it's a little like weirder a little more rough around the edges um I don't know. I guess part of it has to do with that that rough terrain. Um, I don't know if it has anything to do with the fact that Australia was like they used to send a bunch of prisoners there many many years ago. But it's they they have kind of a gritty film scene, particularly in the seventies, and I'm interested in exploring that further with the last wave. Um, my final pick. Uh, it's a movie that I wanted to fit in last year, but it just didn't quite match my theme. Uh, it's a documentary from 1990 called Paris is Burning, uh, which I guess now has famously inspired the TV show Pose. Uh, it's uh, it's about the uh, New York I don't know. Uh, drag ball scene. I don't know if this was in the Criterion Collection last year, but... <laughs> It wasn't? It, it may have been on the streaming channel. Oh, Typi- typical go. Sean mistake. All, <laughs> all the more reason not to have included it last year. But it it is uh, spine number 1018. So it's it's in there now. Uh, uh, and it definitely does uh, fit the theme of a lot of the movies I watched last year, which is uh, portraying people of color and uh, queer people positively which is just not something you get to see a lot of in mainstream media. Uh, everything I've read says that this is a actually like joyful portrayal of this uh, sort of sub community in New York city. Uh, a, uh, a uh, portrait of the 
the type of world we'd all prefer to live in than the one we get now. Um, and uh, with Pose finally coming to a close this year, uh, it really felt like it was now or never for me to watch this documentary. So that's why I've chosen to watch it. I don't know if I have watched a documentary for actually well, maybe I have what, what if you consider Koyana Scott's a documentary I guess I have <laughs> but so it's always hard to write about documentaries I guess but mm-hmm. I, what I what, I did one right what did I do I don't know I did a music I did like a concert film. oh yeah you did it was hard to write you did about. a Buena Vista social club Yes, yes. It was very good, but it was I found it difficult to write about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I did uh, Grey Gardens, and that oh, was yeah. maybe my favorite Criterion Month movie <laughs> I've ever seen. It was so good. Yeah. So it can be done. Yeah. I'm, I'm excited to see which, which one will be my favorite this year. I don't know if you guys keep track of what your favorites are every year. I do. I uh, very annoyingly keep all these statistics that we don't do anything with because we don't do a wrap up post or a wrap up podcast. Maybe we or could anything. this year for the thirty first. Yeah, since we're not doing anything on the post, 31st. all our old stuff too. Like if you have all that, if you could post like multiple years, I'd love to see it. Um, just so there's some kind of record. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I know my. I think my favorite film last year was probably um, Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Oh yeah. Because I remember I gave it four and a half, and that was the highest rating I gave last year. Um, That's right. Yeah, five always, stars are very rare from you. <laughs> Have I ever given a five? I don't think I don't know if I've ever given a five star review for Criterion. I've given multiple four and a halves. Um, I also gave Stranger Than Paradise a four and a half. I remember being super impressed by that movie. I should have picked more Jarmusch. He's a good one. That's funny, like, I don't know if you guys ever, this ever happens to you, where, like, you pick a director one year, and you're like, oh, I gotta pick him next year, but then, like, that, that next year, you pick a director from another year, so then here it's, like, three years, and you still only see maybe one or two films from that one director. <laughs> like, at least that happens to me, where it's, like, mm-hmm. I'm trying to remember, I feel like there's, yeah, there's been certain filmmakers where, like, I started watching the filmography, and then got distracted from it. I don't know. We don't need to go into it. Yeah. I just like to see the trends over the years. Oh, you know, I should have kept the tab, too, of uh, the countries that we picked for this year. Seems like America and France usually win. <laughs> well, uh, so we took you a little bit behind the curtain there at the end. Where we're talking about the real shit. But those have been our... Uh, our 30 Criterion movies that we're looking forward to watching and writing about this July. You can find those posts on uh, mildlyplease.com. Uh, obviously, in a month and a half. But not now. No. But but you can browse the, the, the previous year's archives and read. There's already like 50 Criterion reviews from each of us. That's 150 Criterion reviews. That's uh, That's a lot of reading. You might need that month and a half to, to cover all of that. Uh, especially if you want to watch all those movies. I mean, how many people have seen 150 Criterion movies? Basically no one. You'd be the first person. Um, so our thanks to uh, Criterion and, uh, and that website. And you can find more podcasts we did on uh, iTunes or... I guess it's not even iTunes anymore, right? It's called Apple Podcasts. 
or uh, whatever you look up. Just search for Mildly Pleased and, and we'll be there. And uh, until then, we'll speak to you next time. To get your prescription I was standing in line with Mr. Jimmy. A man